The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and we're breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, we'll discuss the crypto conundrum, the hot topics covered on this weekend's big Bitcoin conference in Miami, and what it will take to really lay the groundwork for a potential cryptocurrency ETF later this year. Yes, it's coming someday. It will come. And whether Bitcoin will remain the dominant player in the crypto space. Here's my conversation with Greg King, CEO of Osprey Funds, and Michael Sonnenshine, CEO of Grayscale Investments. Greg, uh, you're still in Miami. <laughs> Very colorful uh, commentary from some of the reporters down there. I saw people attacking the Federal Reserve, saying uh, they're evil. I saw people attacking Elon Musk, saying he was evil. Kind of strange bedfellows there. Uh, I saw the president of El Salvador saying he wants to make Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, while you're down there right now, just give, her a sense, give us a sense of, of the flavor of, of what's going on there. A lot of excitement down here. You know, it's Miami. It's uh, warm. It's sunny. Um, and you've got an international investing hub. So you really have a confluence of a lot of people who are super enthusiastic about what's going on with Bitcoin. You do have that sense of community, though, especially, and I think you're talking about Elon Musk and uh, whether this is a Fed. You know, the Bitcoiners uh, tend to rally against what they see as, as uh, forces that oppose them. But I think, generally speaking, the mood here is one of positivity. It's taking the movement forward. Uh, from where it's been over the last 12 years, and certainly an endorsement by a country, you know, El Salvador, saying they're uh, seriously considering submitting a bill. And the president, I believe, said he will submit a bill that will uh, make Bitcoin, if it passes, legal tender. So a lot of excitement down here in Miami. Wow. And Michael, you, your people are a little different, right? Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is a little bit different. You have institutional investors, kind of a, a different crowd. You're not there. But I, I really was struck about this moment when the president of El Salvador says, I'm going to make Bitcoin, you know, legal tender. The dollar is already legal tender down there. But that's kind of a of an interesting moment. I don't know if you took away anything from it that. It is an interesting moment. And I couldn't be there because I wanted to be here with you, Bob. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting moment. I think as we think about, you know, nation states and central banks exploring digital currencies, we're not surprised to see places that have historically relied on the dollar or folks who have experienced hyperinflation exploring the potential merits of digital currencies. Yeah. And you're, but I meant was quite serious. Your, your people are a little different than some of the shall we say, libertarians that go down there to that particular well, conference? You, you institutional, more pension fund-oriented people? We do. The Grayscale family of products, we, we service a lot of institutions, accredited investors, pensions, endowments, and then also a lot of retail investors as well. You know, GBTC, largest publicly traded Bitcoin fund in the world. Yeah. Craig, I'm wondering if there is, just back to this, whether there's a moment or not, you know, Jack Dorsey well, purchased more than, I think, $200 million in Bitcoin uh, through Square since October of last year, said that this was the most important project in the world, that if he wasn't working on, on Square, he'd be spending his life working to develop uh, Bitcoin. Uh, is, is there some kind of, I'm looking for some moment here, is this some kind of escape velocity that's starting to happen, or are we just uh, uh, reporters succumbing to too much of the hype around this? No, I think, um, I, I wouldn't pin it all on this weekend, though. I think this movement started in the fall of last year, uh, certainly when Bitcoin crashed through or, or crashed upwards through 20,000, its previous all-time high, um, and started a new bull run. Uh, you started to see a lot of corporations like Square, MicroStrategy, and others 
that was a new thing. Corporations putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet and, and big ones, uh, Tesla famously. Um, but you've also seen insurance companies start to, to dip a toe in. You saw large asset management groups like BlackRock, et cetera, starting to talk about it. So Bitcoin continues to steamroll forward. And I think, uh, you know, any talk about the most recent sell-offs down here was pretty muted. Yeah, I, I guess, Michael, the question I have is, if you buy into the concept of crypto, what is truly special about Bitcoin? Or if you buy into the concept of blockchain, which I think is the truly revolutionary technology in my mind. I'm a big blockchain fan, sure. not necessarily a Bitcoin fan. So I guess it seems like we've got all these alternative investments out there, NFTs, uh, Ethereum and the rise of Ethereum, smart contracts, decentralized finance. Uh, is Bitcoin waning as the sort of dominant motif uh, of blockchain in general and crypto in particular? Well, I think certainly over the last year, as we've seen economic stimulus keep getting pumped into not only the U.S. economy, but around the world, you've seen a lot of investors gravitating towards Bitcoin for its verifiable scarcity. And there's a general appreciation that Bitcoin and the digital currency asset class as a whole are really here to stay. And so a lot of investors have begun moving not into just Bitcoin, but even assets like Ethereum, starting to explore new protocols within DeFi and others, because there actually are differentiated use cases amongst the various digital currencies that are out there. Yeah. Bitcoin, it, 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 I have said blockchain is the truly revolutionary technology because it answers the question, how do I know I ever owned anything in the world? And it seems like those smart contract concepts behind Ethereum now goes a long way towards dealing with those particular issues that are out there. But I want to ask you about the Grayscale, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust because a number of people wrote in and said it's been trading at a substantial discount to Bitcoin this year. Can you explain why that's happening? Is there a supply-demand issue here? What, what's, what's causing that? Yeah, so Grayscale Bitcoin Trust trades under symbol GBTC. It's the first Bitcoin um, investment vehicle to become an SEC reporting company. And over the last few months, it has traded at a discount to its net asset value. That's not uncommon for funds that are look a little bit more like a closed-end structure to trade at premiums and discounts. And so what we've certainly seen is more supply coming into the market, and that may have an influence on it. But ultimately, the price at which it trades is dependent on market forces and investor sentiment. So for a lot of investors thinking about getting Bitcoin exposure right alongside stocks, bonds, ETFs, whatever else they may own, GBTC may be a compelling opportunity for them. But that's why I get back to the, is it, is, is there some issue about it waning Bitcoin in general? Because it was trading at a premium for the longest time until last year. And then suddenly February, it just, so round there, it just kind of changed and it went to a, a discount. I mean, to me, that would say maybe people are interested in alternatives or something sure. like that. Well, no, it's, it is the secondary market for privately placed shares. So over time, as the fund has grown to be larger, again, the largest Bitcoin fund in the world, more shares have come into the market. And so ultimately, over time, you'll see that supply and demand balance come back into play. Yeah, uh, 24 billion assets under management. That's pretty good. That is definitely the largest one out there. Greg, I wonder, uh, this is a show about exchange traded funds, so I hate to pivot over there to the endlessly discussed Bitcoin ETF topic. but. I've got to ask you about it. Um, where, where you and both of you, I think, have said you're going to convert to a Bitcoin ETF. Is that right? Am I am I right, Greg, on that? You've also said that, yeah. correct? Yeah. Correct. Uh, so yeah, give yeah. us an update. G give us an update on where you think we stand. We've got a new SEC commissioner. Everyone seems to think that he understands this. I don't know why everyone thinks that he's automatically going to agree to everything, but he certainly does. Gary Gensler, the new SEC commissioner, does understand it. What, what's your take on the prospects for a Bitcoin ETF this year? Um, you know, we're hopeful that uh, Gensler's administration there will uh, take a good hard look and, um, 
you know, uh, put his expertise to work. You know, he taught about uh, a class about crypto at MIT. So the guy knows his stuff. No one's debating that. I think people are sort of reading into it that that means that uh, it's going to be green lights for a Bitcoin ETF. We're not so sure that's the case. Uh, of course, we're in front of the administration and, uh, you know, working with uh, law firms, et cetera, as you do um, and moving those, those processes forward. But uh, personally, I think if something happens, it, it's more likely in 2022. Uh, just really getting going. These things take time. There's multiple years of uh, rulings by the staff that he would need to kind of, uh, you know, figure out how to, how to treat and handle. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not a, a slam dunk at all, but I do think they will take a good hard look. The thing is, though, to your earlier question, um, Bitcoin is still a thing very much here at the conference, uh, but there's more to the whole blockchain crypto movement than just Bitcoin. And that's why uh, at Osprey, we've launched our Bitcoin trust, OBTC, uh, which is the lowest priced fund that's available on the market. Um, but we've launched other things, Polkadot, Algorand, other cryptocurrencies and layer one platforms that are kind of going to what's next, right? To your point, blockchain is a pretty cool invention and Bitcoin applies that to the problem of fiat currencies, right? But there are so many other problems, DeFi, decentralized finance, uh, this whole NFT craze is a little bit beyond me, but uh, still very interesting. So other platforms like Polkadot, like Algorand, uh, like Ethereum, these are ways that you can get exposure to some of those trends beyond just Bitcoin. We love Bitcoin. I've yeah. invested since 2013, uh, but there's more to this movement than just that. And, and Michael, just back to that ETF question again. The SEC under the prior administration laid out some, I, I think, very um, high barriers here. Uh, they were concerned about uh, fraud, uh, about manipulation about custody issues. And every time this Bitcoin ETF question comes up, I said, read what the SEC said. Now, do you think the industry has cured the defects that the SEC specifically said, here's the problem that we had? What, what's your thoughts now? Have they, have they addressed the SEC's concern to the point where Gensler can get to a yes? We've been working on this with the SEC since 2016, and they've been very public, to your point, market surveillance, you know, uh, addressable markets that are regulated. You know, the industry continues to mature with each passing day, but clearly, as even though we are maturing, we're still not quite there yet. And so I think for a lot of investors looking at crypto today, they're accessing it through, you know, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust or through Osprey or through others. And it's a compelling opportunity because when GBTC does convert to an ETF, and again, we're 100% committed to converting to an ETF when the regulatory environment is ready to have it, that, that arbitrage, that discount or that premium would you know, be arbitraged away and the fund would trade at NAV like all ETFs do. And so a lot of investors are interesting, um, in, who are interested in Bitcoin are looking at GBTC today for that very reason. You know, now, Gensler has said, publicly, we need more regulation of the exchanges. But he's a little bit unclear about what that is. It's not clear whether he wants more con Congress to step in and actually enact some uh, legislation or whether or not the SEC has the power itself to do more regulation. It, where do you stand on that? And Greg, I want to get your thoughts as well. I think it's important to realize how much regulators are engaged in the industry itself. The types of things that they're looking for are really about regulating the on-ramps and the off-ramps into the ecosystem itself. And so with each passing day, the exchanges are getting more mature, the KYC, the AML that's being done. And this is no longer a barrier to entry for investors. The institutions that now invest 
rests with us would not have thought about this, you know, two, three years ago when regulatory uncertainty may have been a hurdle for them. Nowadays, that's not the kind of pushback that we get. And so I think as time goes on, you'll see a maturation around those entry and exit yeah. points that will give regulators increased comfort with the asset class. And, and KYC, those of you who didn't know, is know your customer. Uh, those of you who don't know the nomenclature here, we throw around a lot of acronyms around here. Uh, Greg, uh, same question to you. Gensler has specifically said already uh, about the manipulation, fraud, and custody, uh, and these issues need to be addressed. Do you do you think? Same question. Do you think that that the industry has matured to the point where they can get Gensler to say yes this year? I do. I think that. Um they can put some meaningful uh, clarity forward in terms of regulation. From our perspective, one of the biggest issues is really just with each particular coin or token, is this a commodity or is it a security? You know, that's a fundamental question uh, that, that really dictates how investors can access these products. So, so for us, that's something we care deeply about. Um, to uh, Michael's point about uh, KYC, which is though your client, and AML, which, by the way, is anti-money laundering, um, I feel like those uh, those areas have been, um, you know, well uh, addressed uh, so far. It seems like, at least for for U.S. persons. Um, so we'd be looking forward to some clarity around the security versus commodity question. Um, and we've heard heard talk about perhaps some some kind of uh, a grace period for folks to figure it out. But um, we're definitely eager to see something come uh, from Gensler's administration. You know, I, I, I want to just pivot, pivot here and, and ask you about the digital dollar. I mean, one of the reasons I'm not terribly enthusiastic about Bitcoin is what I want is a digital dollar. I want a way to quickly transfer money to my friend in London, not have to pay an enormous VIG if possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and it would seem a digital dollar, a tether dollar of some sort, would, it would deal with a lot of those issues. H how do you feel about things like a t digital dollar? And would that reduce the popularity of, of Bitcoin and other digital currencies, at least partly? I know, it, I know there's the crowd yeah. out there, you know, the, the libertarians and the people who are in other countries that are concerned about it. But for a guy like me, would that reduce the interest in Bitcoin? Not at all. I actually think we take the opposite view. We're definitely seeing not only the digital dollar project underway, but also seeing a lot of other countries around the world getting into launching their own central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. I think that will not displace or, if anything, take or market share or compete with decentralized currencies like Bitcoin. And so I think it all trends towards the digitization of money and something that investors and just your average person as well, who may not be in the investment market, can glom onto as well. And do you think, um, Greg, your thoughts you feel the same way, I gather? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, actually, I'll give you I'll give you two things. So so one is uh, CBDCs is something that Algorand, which uh, we just did a project on, we just launched a trust, is one, uh, one of the uh, layer ones at the forefront. You know, it was founded by Silvio Macaulay, who's taught at MIT for 40 years. He's a sort of godfather of uh, cryptography. And they're working, they've done a CBDC for the Marshall Islands. So that's a trend that folks can play by uh, looking at Algorand as a, as a token. However, I agree with Michael in the sense that imagine the world's uh, uh, fiat currencies are digitized. I actually think that pushes more people into something like the Bitcoin because, frankly, that would give governments even more control than they already have around their money supply. And a lot of people who get into Bitcoin is for, you know, concerns about, about that type of control, whether libertarian or not. So yeah. uh, I do think that both those trends uh, push folks even more towards crypto in general. But there's different ways to, to, to play those trends. 
Yeah. Where are we with Bitcoin as, as, as money? I, I brought up the whole thing with El Salvador because sure. uh, as a, a, a means of payment, well, there it is. You know, if they can get that through, that would be enormous. So, but the other is as a potential store of value. Um, I mean, fiat currencies will work on the blockchain, and, and, and any kind of currencies can work off the blockchain, but where are we with uh, cryptocurrencies uh, as money? In the developed world, the use case at the moment around Bitcoin is not as a payment mechanism. We do have financial services access. We're able to get credit cards, lending. We're able to finance businesses, education, et cetera. So the notion that you may not be buying your cup of coffee with, a, with Bitcoin doesn't somehow equal that Bitcoin has somehow failed, right? We are, however, seeing mass adoption in the developing world where there's either lack of financial services access or in, you know, folks would rather own other stores of value or other transactional means than their local currency because it's being debased or inflated out of existence. So I think just where we are in the life cycle of this, it's important to realize that Bitcoin here in the developed world is much more being used as a store of value or a digital gold. Yeah. Uh, uh, Greg, same way with you, store of value rather than a means of payment? Yeah, for the moment. Uh, it remains to be seen how that works out over time. There are scaling solutions being applied to Bitcoin, but also to other uh, cryptos like Ethereum. Um, but, yeah, I think that Bitcoin's sort of coming into its own as a store of value, um, which, which kind of solves half of what it may be set out to, to solve. Um, and, but the payments one remains outstanding. And that, yeah. that problem is still waiting to be solved by somebody. I, you know, one of the problems, of course, people have had who don't want to invest in Bitcoin is what else is there to invest in? We had this problem with ETFs in general because they go along with whatever is popular. The pot stocks had this problem years ago. There's nothing to buy. Um, and then we had Coinbase come along. The Coinbase IPO was, uh, I think, a pretty big event. It was. Uh, Barry Silbert, who works with you, runs Digital Currency Group, you're affiliated with, with him, um, said it would result in the repricing of many companies in the space and would accelerate M&A. Um, I wonder, has it fulfilled that kind of promise? I mean, the reference price was 250. It's 230 right now, sure. I notice. I mean, I know two reference prices don't necessarily mean a lot, but it has been on a slowly downward trajectory since then. It's, it's too early to see some of that play out. I think Barry's spot on that we will see increased M&A activity. The Coinbase IPO was a watershed moment for the industry, something that we've all been really excited about. And it also gives investors the opportunity for the first time to actually participate in value creation of a company that's actually building the rails or the picks and shovels of the industry, as opposed to historically only being able to invest in crypto itself. So I do think it is a new opportunity for a lot of investors, and it will cause other companies to come to the public markets as well from the broadly defined digital currency realm. And Greg, does it mean anything, just to repeat the question, that the reference price was 250 on Coinbase, it's now 230, essentially? No, I don't, I don't read anything whatsoever into that. I think that it's probably likely trading in line with uh, the price of Bitcoin generally. Um, but I think uh, Coinbase has a huge future ahead of it. Obviously, a big splash in their uh, IPO or, or whatever you call it, direct offering. Um, but uh, more to come. I, I agree with Michael. So you think one year from now, are you in the prediction business? Want to guess where Bitcoin's going to be one year from oh, now? Yeah. I know people ask this question. I'm sorry. I know it's, yeah. none of you guys like to deal with that question, <laughs> but where, where are we going to be one year from now? I have to say, from my view of the world, I am as encouraged as I've ever been by who's participating in the ecosystem and the extent to which they're participating in the asset class. And so what that ultimately means for the price you know, remains to be seen. But I think the institutionalization of this asset class um, has arrived and it's here to stay. You think it'll be higher than a year from now? 
I think it's tough to predict. I mean, we've seen crypto go through a, quite a few series of bubbles and bursts over time. And each time the industry gets challenged, prices get challenged, it comes back more resilient than ever. So your guess is as good as mine. Greg, final word from you. <laughs> Uh, we think it's going to be higher, my friend. Uh, it is, um, you know, still in a bull market in, in my view. It's range bound here. I would say it breaks decisively upward through 40,000. Then it's going to keep going. If it breaks to the downside, we could be in for some trouble. My, my view is that it's bullish, but we take the mid to long term view anyway. So this represents a good buying opportunity in my book. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. We're on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange today. We'll be continuing the conversation with Michael Sunshine from Grayscale Investments. And Michael, let me bring up just a few questions that I get all the time from, from the viewers. Uh, objections or concerns about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. The first is just the tax situation. It's a damn nightmare. I mean, people keep saying, is there anything that you can do? And of course, uh, if you were to use Bitcoin to buy an Apple computer right now, you'd have to calculate, I think, the value of the Bitcoin at the time of the transaction and then pay capital gains on it. It's a bit of a mess. Is there any hope for simplifying the tax structure? I think that the IRS, and again, it's a little bit of a patchwork between what you see here in the U.S. versus what you may see overseas. But here in the U.S., the IRS has clarified that Bitcoin is property, so it does get that long and short-term capital gains treatment. Now, that being said, we are not really seeing in the developed world, like here in the U.S., people using Bitcoin as a transactional mean, actually using it to buy goods and services. That being said, those who do decide to use it for goods and services, there are some phenomenal tools that are being developed akin to what you may see for stocks or bonds or investment accounts, where your actual tax lot reporting is actually being captured in a way that can better create you know, the infrastructure you need to be able to accurately file your tax returns. But I think over time, you will see regulatory agencies like the IRS continue to revisit the tax treatment of crypto and other assets. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, the other question I get is really what's unique about Bitcoin in general? I mean, a digital token could easily be tethered to a blockchain. We've got hundreds of them uh, already. Sure. There's nothing really unique about Bitcoin's underlying tether to the blockchain, essentially. Uh, so, so I. This is a question I get from people. Why uh, Bitcoin was first in? So why is why am I going to, you, you know, invest in Bitcoin when there are hundreds of others? Or what's what's the what's the demonstrated high use, the outperformance of Bitcoin versus others? So you're right that there's nothing unique about Bitcoin being tied to a blockchain because there's hundreds of currencies or digital assets that do the same. But where you're wrong is that Bitcoin is an open source protocol made up of millions of users around the world who've put their trust and faith in the Bitcoin ecosystem itself. And so because it's open source, as other coins or other protocols get developed, they may try to reveal gaping holes or flaws in the Bitcoin protocol. And over time, Bitcoin has and will integrate some of those new features and attributes so that Bitcoin can continue to gain strength and continue to outcompete other assets that may be out there. And so a lot of people, to your point, may worry that Bitcoin may be the MySpace to the eventual Facebook or any other analogy like that. But because it's open source nature, because of the properties that it has, because of the user base that has put their faith in it, um, Bitcoin has remained very resilient and has remained king as the largest digital currency but out there. But you say open source as if it's some magic wand. You can create other open source cryptocurrencies. You certainly could, and there are other open source cryptocurrencies. However, 
there are billions now, billions and billions of dollars of switching costs from Bitcoin to that next open source cryptocurrency, right? And so there would have to be some economic incentive and other attributes that that other currency would have in order to get folks to think about dropping Bitcoin for whatever that next thing may be. Yeah, it's a good point. The, is, it, it, the other question I get, is it really limited? I know there's supposed to be 21 million Bitcoins. There's, what, 18 million or so that have been mined yep. so far? What would prevent the programmers from suddenly deciding they wanted to do more? There's been forks already. I mean, what, 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 is it really limited? It is. So again, open source protocol, anybody can go and take a look at the Bitcoin source code right on the internet from any connected device, and they will see that it is hard coded at 21 million. Um, and again, while Bitcoin has and does implement changes, certain attributes like the 21 million cap or its divisibility out to eight decimal places, um, certain attributes like that, um, I would be hard pressed to believe would be able to change in the future. But what you do see when changes do occur, and if that type of change were to be proposed, you would see a need to have a majority of the network download the newest software client, almost as a vote for yes to that, whatever that change may be. But those kind of core attributes, I don't see those changing anytime soon. Although that could create a, a debate about whether they wanted it, somebody, it, you could have a fork or somebody splits could. off. Yeah, that's a possibility. The other is the charges. Uh, um, it's not cheap here. I think you charge 2%, right, to get in? We charge 2% on the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Yeah. Uh, is, there, uh, is there any way that would come down in the future as this goes up or becomes more widely used? We are committed um, to lowering the management fees on this product, certainly when it becomes an ETF. Like, as I shared, you know, we've been working with the SEC since 2016 to convert GBTC into an ETF. Um, and while the market continues to mature, we obviously still have a little bit of a gap to fill as an industry in order to get regulators comfortable. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, the ETF business has driven down costs of being a mutual fund industry. I think the average now, uh, the average ETF is probably 20 basis points. It might be 30, but you, know, you can buy three basis points for the S&P 500. So 200 basis points soars and cheap here for Bitcoin, even when you have, what, what are you, 240% in the last year or something like that. $24 billion in assets under management? Yeah, but you know, I think the important thing to remember is that Bitcoin still largely exists outside of the traditional financial system. And it's access products like GBTC that are letting investors participate in Bitcoin in the same manner that they participate in stocks, bonds, and other instruments that they have in their brokerage account. And so the same, um, you know, not there aren't quite the same frictions um, that you might have around accessing Bitcoin as you may accessing a publicly traded company. And thus, it's not really an apples to apples comparison in terms of fees or the technological know-how it might take for an investor to determine where to buy, trade, store, safe, keep Bitcoin directly. Yeah, it's a, certainly an interesting uh, moment here. I can't quite figure out whether uh, there, there's some kind of inflection point that's been happening this year or it's all related to a certain extent uh, uh, to uh, the meme craze that's going on. Uh, but there's certainly more acceptance of, of Bitcoin. And I think that's pretty obvious to me as a guy who's been sitting here for 30 years watching the stock market here. Uh, that's it. Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Michael Sonnenschein is the CEO of Grayscale Investments, which runs the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Bob Pisani. Thank you for listening. And make sure you tune in next week. And in the meantime, you can tweet us your questions or topic ideas at ETF Edge CNBC.
Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.